Welcome to ACME Talks and Live Events. You are listening to a podcast from the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. This talk has been recorded in front of a live studio audience. This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes, which may not be suitable for younger audiences. And the opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. All right, so my name is Ryan Summers. Um, how many people actually saw the titles for PauseFest so far? A decent amount of people. All right, cool. Um, so I'm going to apologize. You're going to have to see it again, but I'll make you wait till later so you don't have to watch it like one more time. Um, so I always have a problem um, explaining exactly who I am, and I have the biggest problem explaining who I am to my mom. Um, so I started trying to come up with a list of like what I do and how to like get people to understand it. Um, so I started coming up with certain names. I also started coming up with these because my name is really, really common, and I can't get a .com, a .net, a .tv, so I was trying to come up with like a cool name. So to kind of explain what I do, um, I love type. I'm a pixel peeper, which is probably visual effects people understand that. Um, Lightbender's dumb. It sounds like an avatar term, but I could have gotten that .com. Definitely a pencil pusher. And how many people are animators? Is anybody here a character animator? No one. Oh, okay, cool. Because if someone was a character animator and they were looking for a really good .com, curveoperator.com is available right now. Um, so I'm going to get it then if nobody else is going to take it. Um, I'm also a Twitter addict, a root beer drinker, and I don't know what the equivalent to football in, uh, would be, but I'm a non-skating hockey fanatic. So I don't know what the soccer equivalent would be, a non-running soccer fanatic, maybe? So, um, yeah, so I don't skate. I don't know how to. I'd kill myself. Um, so, uh, the best way for me to tell my mom what I do, actually, is um, I just tell her that I make stuff. So, I, I've worked, I'll get into a little bit of like, where I've worked and what I've done before, but um, whether it's 2D animation, sculpting, posters, typography, drawing, photography, um, everything short of making songs, um, I just make stuff. I like it. Um, I used to not do that at all, and it was kind of a big change for me to kind of accept saying it. Um, I don't know how many people actually call themselves artists on their business cards, but for about 10 years after I left the industry I was in, um, I never actually called myself an artist because I was kind of embarrassed. I just said I worked on computers because um, it was where I came from. If you said you're an artist, it probably didn't mean that you're going to be long for the world. Um, so I, I make stuff. I love it. I have a ton of fun. Um, but I also think um, I just recently realized that um, I have a little bit of a problem. Um, I think I might be crazy. I'm not entirely sure, but I think I might be. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of crazy out there. There's taxi driver crazy. And although I have actually gotten into fistfights in the studio before, I don't think I'm taxi driver crazy. Um, there's the crazy I wish I was, which is Albert Einstein crazy, or mad genius crazy. And I've worked with two what I believe are bona fide mad geniuses. And um, I think if you can find one, stick with them for as long as possible, because you'll learn a lot. Um, but the kind of crazy I think I am, but you may not notice it from looking at me or ever think it, but I think I'm Beyonce crazy. <laughs> like I said, it doesn't look like it. You'll never catch me drinking and dancing um, unless it's tonight after this. But um, the reason I think I'm Beyonce crazy is because I'm actually crazy in love. Um, I have three loves. I also have another one if you can read it, but don't tell animation about it. Um, I love three things. And I have this thing where I've done a couple speaking engagements. I've been lucky to go to like NAB or Seagraph or IBC, and I do a very like Cinema 4D button pushing, here's how you do things, here's how you achieve Pacific Rim, which this tonight I hope is not very much of that at all. Um, if you want to talk about that stuff, I've got my laptop afterwards, I'll be at the bar, we can nerd out as much as you want. But um, tonight's more about the things that I love and not necessarily the exact things that I do. Um, but I get the question all the time, wherever I go, I want to make movie titles. How do I make movie titles? And the first thing I always ask people is why? I never get a good answer, probably nine out of the ten times when people ask me, I want to make movie titles. The answer is almost always like, because I want to make movies. I'm like, well, then you shouldn't be doing movie titles because you're not making movies. It's the same thing when how many people are into visual effects or want to do visual effects. I know there's at least one here. Um, two, three, three. Um, I don't think, and I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way, I don't think people who do visual effects as a profession are artists. I think they're craftsmen. Um, and I know that only personally because I've done a ton of visual effects myself. Um, you're not authoring. You're, you're serving another voice, another author. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a heroic thing, but I think a lot of people get into visual effects because they think they're going to start making movies. Um, I made the exact same mistake. Um, but the three things I love, which I think you have to love, and you have to be crazy about how much you love them. Um, and I'll explain what I mean by crazy later with some actual examples, so it's not just me talking up here. Um, 
you have to love animation. And I mean like love it, not just like set keyframes and hit F9 and get some easy E's and curves. Um, you have to love it, you have to live it. It has to be something you obsess about. Um, the best example I can think about is, do you guys have hipsters in Melbourne? I haven't seen many. I haven't, I haven't seen many. Um, but uh, I, 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 I have a friend, and Michael, I'm sorry if you ever hear this right now. Um, but he is probably the like, bona fide example of a tattooed sleeved hipster. The only thing is that about him that's amazing, and I've gotten in trouble with him multiple times, is imagine if Jar Jar Binks was a tattooed hipster walking around the city. Um, he had an incredible walk, and, and I would find myself just staring at him, and we would be doing something. I worked with him when I was um, doing like documentaries. I used to work on the Board of Trade in Chicago, which isn't the most exciting place to do documentaries. There's a lot of weird alpha male dudes that like to fight and gamble. Um, but we would go and we'd shoot, and um, I'd watch him running back and forth or walking, and he swears to God, like it, the way he walked, I can never capture, but I would always try to draw it. I would always try to sketch, like what is it about his walk that I wish I could do, or I wish I could, I could capture? And I would literally sit during lunch sometimes and just animate off those sketches while everybody else was eating, like, how can I make Michael's walk real? Um, it got so bad that there were a couple times where Michael would be walking in front of me, he wouldn't know that I was behind him, and I would um, I'd do his walk, basically. And I don't know how many people do this, but sometimes you see people and they have some kind of amazing gait or they have a way that they speak, but I would literally like try to like sit, and he's like two feet taller than me so he could kick my ass if I saw him doing this. But like he had just this way that he like sat in on himself, and he just would like, and I'm not doing it now. He loved with his hips, and he kind of was like toe-footed. And I would, I would write down all these things that I noticed, but I could never actually capture it until I actually sat down. And I just did the Michael Stadler, like walk, just like this. And he turned around and saw me, and it was in front of like everybody else. And he literally came around like he was gonna swing to knock me out. Um, but I learned how to do his walk. So when I say I love animation, whether you're animating type, whether you're animating visual effects, whether you're animating characters, you have to be willing to get your ass kicked and prove that's how much you love it, personally, I believe. Um, same thing with typography. I don't know how many people are into typography, but um, I love character design, and I feel like character design within animation is like the equivalent of typography. Um, but the people I worked with, the people that um, I worked at Imagining Forces, which I'll get into a little bit, they, um, they love type to a level that I did not know was possible. Um, we got into like half-hour lunch arguments about how much we were kerning fonts. Like literally like pulling them up on screen and walking over and then getting another guy and being like, nope, that's not, no. And like, it, it blew my mind and it kind of like lit a fire underneath me that even though I didn't go to CalArts, even though I didn't go to um, Art Center, um, I, I just realized that when I was a kid, I used to do my sketchbooks when I was drawing, I would spend just as much time drawing fonts. I didn't know they were fonts, but I'd be drawing my name and trying out different ways and a lot of it was probably influenced by comic books and a bunch of different stuff. Um, but I actually realized that I had, a, I had an informal love for something that I could kind of make formal through study. Um, but animation typography, I mean, it, if there's anything that movie titles are made out of, it's really those two elements and then one more thing, and it's photography. And photography has been like the most recent thing that I've realized that I actually love. And it, it, it literally is the way you see things. And it's one of the things that when I ask people why they want to get into movie titles, besides the fact that they want to be in movies, they never say photography, which blows my mind. Because I, I think about something like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, the opening titles for that, um, which were done by Blur, which were amazing, were actually probably so good that they actually didn't work as efficiently as they could have for the titles, because they, they set up a, a tone and a mood that was so frenetic and so chaotic that for the next 10 minutes, you're kind of coming down off of this high. But what I loved about it was that it's one of the first times in CG that I saw somebody in a title capture the, the cinematograph cinematographic look that the rest of the movie is always going to be trying to chase. So as you design, if you, how many people want to do title design? I guess that's probably the biggest question I should ask people. Um, as you're doing title design, as you're doing stuff for movies, the, some of the biggest things you need to consider are those three things. Um, the other thing that's really tiny down here is that I'm secretly dating technology on the side. I really, really, really love my tools. Um, and that's something I try not to tell people because that's the only question anybody ever wants to ask is, how did you run a Pacific Rim in Cinema 4D? Or it, it, it gets annoying. So that was a long time on one thing, but I'm crazy. Um, so, three warnings um, before you, I guess this is before you even get started. Um, I talk fast sometimes when I get excited. So, please slow me down, wave, yell, throw water at me, whatever you want to do. Um, number two, the thing that kind of goes on top of that, ask me questions. I know we have a Q&A at the end and where Mariana's at, I know she'll tell me not to say this, but um, if, if I say something that doesn't make any sense, ask me now, or use your hand, throw something. Um, if you think that I say something that's totally wrong, say it, it's fine. Um, for me, the coolest thing about Pause Fest, and I hope it's been the same way for you, is the interaction. All the, the happy accents, the walking into people, the stopping at the bar and then find out what people do. Um, but the big thing is about this is that they actually got the name of my presentation wrong, and I apologize. Um, it was supposed to be called Talk is Cheap, 
but titles aren't, but it's actually the opposite. Titles are actually incredibly cheap, but the talk that you get yourself into this mess actually isn't. Um, titles, if, if you didn't know, are probably the last thing that gets thought about when you make a movie. Um, sometimes there isn't even any budget. I can tell you for a fact that we've stolen three days from ADR on certain films just to be able to get a budget to walk in the door and do something. And when we did that, we killed ourselves. Um, but when I mean talk isn't, and talking about Kearney, I fucked up the T and A, so I apologize. Um, yeah, yeah, it's in the font. It's not my fault, but I should take care of it. Um, talk definitely isn't. When you walk in the room and you meet someone like Guillermo del Toro or Duncan Jones or Michael Bay, all you want to do is win the job because you just want to be around them more. Maybe not so much Michael Bay, but everybody else. Um, you just want to be around them. So you find yourself getting caught up in this kind of like hero worship moment where you're like, whatever I need to do to be able to work on this, I'll do it. So I'll pitch something that there's no way I can get done for $30,000 in three days. Um, so that's why the, the title of this is actually wrong. Um, titles are very cheap. Um, I can't say the number, but would anybody want, I want to get some kind of interaction with you guys. Does anybody have a guess? I can't even say the real number. How much the Pacific Rim titles might have cost? I don't know, the Pacific Rim titles. The ones at the end. The ones at the end, the ones at the front, all of them combined. Just take a, take a guess, and I can tell you if you're hot or cold. 100? A little less than that. A little bit more than that. So you can get a good range of, like, this was two and a half minutes of full HD, plus that includes the cost of doing the stereo conversion of the entire thing afterwards. So that can give you kind of an idea of scope for let's say $75,000, which I'm not saying is what it was. Um, if you've ever produced a movie or, or did line producing on a film, you can guess what the, the crafty budget, I don't know if that's what they call food services in, in Australia, but the stuff that people eat on the day is probably three days worth of crafty is what you get for titles. So titles are cheap. Um, okay, cool. So let's see if this works. This is something I like to do sometimes. Um, Let's see if I can find it here. Like I said, I'm not as, I'm not as slick as everybody else. Um, I have been in Los Angeles for four years. The whole time I've been there, I have spent my entire time working at Imaginary Forces. Let's see, it's probably this little one that nobody can see. No, no, no. Um, but I wanted to show you my demo reel. Yes, here we go. Um, I wanted to show you my demo reel that I walked into California with, um, or into LA with. Um, you can tell how old it is by the resolution. It's currently sitting at 640 by 480. Um, and let's see, I don't know if the sound's gonna play, but it doesn't matter because it's awful. But um, let's see if this works. Yeah, I might have to go and put full screen. I'm a Windows guy, so I apologize to everyone else in the entire world. All right, so I don't know if there's audio or not, but the audio, like I said, is not as important. Um, the story behind it is more important. So um, you'll get a breakdown of what I worked on before, but this is me trying to get to imaginary forces um, having done a lot of different things. This is the one thing I did for them um, beforehand. Um, but I was so freaked out about moving to LA that I was just like, I've got to do one of everything. So I have to do previs, I need to do character animation, I need to do 2D, I need to do 3D, I need to do CG stuff, I need to do live action stuff, I need to do visual effects. Um, I worked at, I'll tell you right after this because it's embarrassing. Um, what year was this, Ryan? What's that? What year was this? 2011, which would be correct. Yeah, the end of 2011. Um, so obviously there's some things that look like they're for casinos or slot machines, which I unfortunately spent six years doing, but uh, it had good things as well, really good benefits to it. Um, I actually worked on podcasts for a long time. Um, if you're into the VC startup world, um, I, I did a, a show, like produced and edited and directed for a show called This Week in Startups, which is actually still around. It was actually really good. It actually has an Australian uh, sister show, which um, I actually love to still watch. But uh, yeah, so you can get the general idea, it's almost done. So, yeah, so it was 2011, and that was my demo reel, trying to get a job, and it's very embarrassing. Um, and yes, I worked on slot machines. So you got to see the majority of my work was that. Um, there's no reason why I should actually be here talking in front of you guys. My background is that I actually lived in the south side of Chicago. Um, the moment I said, hey, I think I want to do art for a career, all my like, career advisors stopped talking to me. Um, and I actually decided that I was going to be a chemical engineer, because it seemed like there was no pathway. Um, I'm fairly older than probably most people here, um, so it was like kind of in the mo moment where like Jurassic Park and Toy Story and a lot of video game companies were starting to kind of spark and kind of come alive. Um, so I had no idea that you could do art for a living or actually like make games or, or make commercials or living on South Chicago, uh, Hollywood was as far away as Australia is now. Um, but I took a 3D Studio Max class, actually 3D Studio DOS, and I don't know if anybody else has ever, ever had that moment where like you work on a computer for the first time and you start like in the morning and then all of a sudden it's dark outside and it feels like an hour went by. I had this just like alchemic weird moment where it was like, 
I have to do this. It must be what people feel like when they play guitar for the first time and actually hit notes correctly. It was just like, I don't know how to do this, but I have to make a living doing this. Um, so I went to school, probably the worst school you can go to in Chicago. It's a factory school, but I was able to get out and actually get a job. Um, and I was a character animator, which is what I've always wanted to do and still want to do, but it was for something that was told me, and I, I don't know the best way to say this, so it was told me that it was a spiritually enhanced children's entertainment. Um, so it was basically like a religious version of Winnie the Pooh. If anybody knows what it was. Um, but it was exciting because in Chicago, everybody else that was doing that stuff was animating um, like a cucumber and an orange or something like that, or a, a, a tomato. And I got to actually animate things with arms. So I actually got to do some acting, which was super cool. Um, I did slot machines, which is actually, I, I'm being nice, playing like games for old people. I think it's more torture devices for old people. Um, media editor for stock traders, which again is like dealing with cavemen. Um, I actually don't know anything about Downward Dog or Vinyasa, but I actually spent six months filming yoga for an iPhone app. Um, I produced podcasts and a lot of it was for poker players. Um, but I was able to parlay that into being a zombie UI designer, meaning that I did all the designs for Talking Dead. There's a TV show called Walking Dead that probably everybody knows about. There's a follow-up show after that um, that was based on a concept that we did for a, a podcast. And uh, that was my first step into kind of doing motion graphics professionally. Um, and then after that, finally, I could actually finally say I was a motion graphics artist because I walked in the door to, I wish angels could be singing right now, um, Imaginary Forces. Um, I'm sure everybody has seen some of their work if they didn't know that they saw it. Um, but Magic Forces was like on my list of the three places I wish I could get to at some point in my life. Blur, DreamWorks, and IF. Um, and I happened to just be one of those moments where it's like I had a reel that just showed that I could do After Effects work and they were desperately in the need of somebody to do After Effects work. And I had a friend that was there that put my name in. Um, so when everybody asked me how you can do titles, it's like have a lot of friends, get on Twitter. Um, but Magic Forces is three people, or was three people, and is now two people, but kind of like Apple, um, Kyle Cooper's influence still is kind of like a Steve Jobs figure. Um, even though he's not there, you feel his presence every single day. So Chip, Peter, Kyle, um, they are all fucking crazy. I'm not kidding. They all are in their own special ways. Um, if anybody's, has anybody, anybody worked with Kyle Cooper? OK, good. Um, Kyle is amazing. Kyle is one of the mad genius people that I was talking about. Um, there, there's probably three people in the history of movie titles that have um, been cooler than the directors they've done their work for. Kyle's the most recent one. Maybe there's a new, another guy named Patrick Clare that I think I could probably say the same thing about. Um, but Imaginary Forces is three specific things that I could finally say after working there for three years that makes them different from everyone else. Um, one of these words I can't stand, and I hate it, but I have to admit that it's true. Um, one is range. One is just the, the, the type of work they've done over the 17 or 18 years that they've been open is kind of astounding. You guys have seen people who have done just character animation, people who do UI, UX, web design, and they kind of dabble in a little bit of things. Um, but Imagine Forces can pretty much do any job that comes to them, whether they've done it before or they haven't. Um, and that's partially because taste, which is the fucking word I hate the most, because it's always hung over the people's heads that haven't been to schools that create taste for you, or you naturally have it somehow, which is this weird nebulous thing. Um, but it's really true. Um, we live in a world where like inspiration is instantaneous. Everybody has access to every single thing you can possibly see. Um, so the real skill is being able to separate 97% of it and get the 3% of your inspiration or reference or research that actually means something to your project and to your client. Um, the other thing is, if you're open for 18 years in this industry, you have confidence, you have swagger. I've been in the room with the two guys at the top when they've walked into Netflix and we were supposed to have a job that we were supposed to spend $20,000 for the right to maybe win it and compete against five other houses and only have two weeks to finish the job. And we walked out with the job without ever pitching, without spending any of our own money, and we got two more months. Like, that's insane. If anybody's working in the industry now, to be able to do that doesn't exist. Um, so, um, I don't know how many people have seen our stuff. I say our stuff, but um, I just want to show you, this is a, a quick reel. Um, and if you've seen it, if enough people have seen it and you say you don't want to see it, I'll turn it off. Um, but I wanted to show you guys, just to give you a sense of the range. This is just our Cinema 4D reel, surprisingly. Um, should be playing. Should be something. Uh, what? Uh, you know what? I probably have to minimize it. This is just our Cinema 4D reel, which it doesn't really matter, but it was the reel that I thought showed the widest range of stuff. Um, and it opens with one of my shots, so I'm kind of partial to it. Um, but what's really cool about IF is that um, it's, it's really rare to be able to have a place where you can do um, like low-hanging fruit explainer videos for high-profile companies. You can do, this is something for Dolby, you can do like never before seen in terms of like the, the format that it's going to actually be played on. Um, and then you can do all kinds of stuff. You can do product stuff, you can do car commercials, you can do uh, movie titles obviously, you can do video game cinematics, you can do full character animation, um, you can do full live action with just a little bit of CG. Um, I'm going to break a little bit of this down if you guys are interested afterwards, person of interest. Um, 
you know, but they do photoreal, they do stylized, they do, they do black and white, they do stop motion. Um, it was actually super overwhelming the first couple of weeks that I was there because I had no place, I didn't know where I fit, I had no place to go. Um, and I actually, it's weird, my first year I actually worked in their kitchen because they were so busy, they put computers and I was like the one guy in the kitchen that sat off, um, which is crazy, but it was actually great because I wasn't stuck with any one director and I was actually in front of everybody, so people would walk by and just kind of grab me for projects. Um, so it was really cool to be able to get in really quick. Um, so yeah, so photoreal stuff. Um, you, get, you guys get the general sense of it. Um, but I want to show you something to just give you an idea. Like the, I have some more projects that I kind of want to go further in depth. Um, you know, I, I hope it isn't too boring that it's not like a lot of like getting in the cinema or After Effects. But um, there's a project here that we just did recently um, that was five days and five artists, and it was for um, like a breath mint commercial. Like it was really like a 30 second breath mint commercial. And the big deal was that they already have a ton of them, but they're making one with watermelons in it. Um, so let me pull this up. It was five days, five artists. It actually probably was more like, more like three and a half artists because we didn't get people full time. Um, but I wanted to show you the, the, the breath that we would go to for these jobs. So it was for this company called Icebreakers. Um, and I just wanted to show you, I don't, know how many, I don't know how many people have seen like pitch documents, how, how in depth they can really go. Um, and I may hop out of this for a second if the cross dissolve gets really boring. Let me change this really quick. Um, but this was a job that was a, a company that was actually coming back to us that we'd already done a job before. So we should have gotten the job you would think normally right away. But we probably, I don't know how much money we spent, but we had five people on it for a week. Um, so the way we do our pitches, and I'll show you a couple of these, um, a lot of times you, we end up just spitting back what the clients tell us, but we try to just gussy it up or make it look a little bit fancier. So I'm not going to read through these because it's crazy. Um, but I just want to show you how far we went in terms of um, thinking about this and then tell you the end result of it. So we actually took a casting call for watermelon, which sounds crazy because I thought there was one kind of watermelon or two. There's a ripe one and one you didn't want to eat. Um, but there's actually like, uh, this is half of the ones we found. Um, and they have ridiculous names like ecstasy. I didn't know there was an ecstasy watermelon. Um, but if you look at this across the board, they're all different kinds, but we kind of actually finally cast the bottom right one as the pixie. Um, and we started getting into like the scientific reasons. But the big thing, this is again getting back to having taste and understanding photography as somebody who's going to be a motion designer. Even if you're going to be designing, um, the place you want to be at is at the design phase. You want to be able to say what it is you're going to end up spending 24 hours or three days in a row or six weeks making, if you can. Um, so we started showing off photography right off the bat and, and give them a sense that we're going to try to be photorealistic. Then we start telling them about how we're going to actually shoot it. There's a million different ways to shoot watermelons. Um, but you can see that there's very balanced layout. There's very pleasing colors. Um, the cinematography is very warm and inviting. Um, I don't know how many people are in web design, but I hate this term that's getting overused. But um, these look delightful. But that term is getting so fucking overused, it's ridiculous. It's like this year's synergy. Um, but but like everybody says you have to give someone delight, or it's like no shit, you gotta like what the thing is that they're gonna buy. Um, but it's kind of assumed, but people just have to stick names on it. Um, but so we started going through everything. We started talking about like how the thing would actually be shot. But you can see that there's kind of um, everybody pitches differently, but just even in the book itself, it's very well designed. I didn't actually design the book, so I'm not bragging about myself. My partner Miguel did it. Um, but there's just kind of like a rhythm to it, and there's just a, a, a nice like like professionalism about just the way we're presenting. Um, so we talk about the slice. So the idea is that this watermelon is going to be a, a, a toboggan, like shooting down like an Olympic uh, ice field. Um, we talk about different ways that you can show freezing. And we got to the point where it's like, here's a bunch of different ways you could do it. We don't really like those, but we really like this way because it shows directionality and speed. We wanted to get the sense that it's almost like anime style, like motion blur lines. And again, the perfect cut with freezing on top of it. We show them everything. Again, like I'm hoping just to overwhelm you guys just to show you like how far you can go. We talked about the luge. We talked about ways to shoot it. Um, the ice itself, you know, does it, is it just a sheet that just reflects or does, is there some density? Is there some particulate? Is there something we can do with that because of that? And we realized like, yeah, the ice paint, this is a great way to actually have the branding in there and have it kind of come to life but sit in the setting without it being obnoxious. Um, and then we talked about the setting in the background. In the same way we kind of cast the watermelon, we go so far to kind of cast the actual environments themselves. So we wanted them to feel epic, almost dangerous, make them feel regal. You hear all these words all the time, but like if you don't throw too many of them out, they actually make a difference. Um, and then we realized on the lighting, there's a million different ways to shoot ice, but it almost always looks the best when it's magic hour or it's actually dark outside. So once we've done that, we actually have all these, you know, a lot of the paragraphs, we write them ourselves, so they're not the best written, but they're just there in case someone's stuck on a frame and gives them something to do. Um, but we actually storyboarded everything out. 
Um, and, and they're fairly well resolved. And this is probably the result of like three passes before this, where it's just super loose, super fast. Probably 12 times as many boards were done just to kind of explore angles. Um, but we have a really, a really awesome um, uh, storyboard artist who can actually kind of do pitch boards and presentation boards. So we're really lucky. Um, and that's my alarm. Sorry. Um, and then we gang everything up. We always do this because you can sit here and talk forever, but the moment that we actually gang them up, then you can actually sit down and take a breath and like relax for a second and then let the questions flood in, which are always the most fun parts about pitches. Um, this is how far we went. We had additional concepts for the spinning. We really wanted to prove that we've thought this through and that there's no reason why anybody else should get the job. And I can keep on going through these really fast. Um, full res boards, um, pitch boards, but with variants, alternate looks on how the ice could click up, like, like different ways. Like, do you want it clean with seeds? Do you want it not clean? Do you want it super crazy and gr gritty, like it's like Dark Knight Returns? Um, do you, what do you want? Like, how do you want the ice to freeze? How far do you want to go? So we explored like as far as you go. We talked about the scale study. Like, is it a human-sized watermelon that's on a giant-sized toboggan or luge? Is it a giant luge on a tiny little one? Like, what scale do you guys want? Um, part of it is that like you just want conversation starters while you're working, so you try to leave these like little breadcrumbs. Um, and then execution. So we actually showed how we crafted the watermelon. We actually went and made a photo real watermelon. We showed them how far we were going. Um, one of the things we knew that is that they wanted to have ultimate control. So we showed them how we have every single kind of like microscopic way to adjust this stuff. And we showed them the kind of final watermelon. It's definitely heightened and stylized, but it qualifies as close to photo real. Um, same thing as everybody always does. We showed them this doesn't mean anything to anyone, but it just lets them know that we're serious. Um, on the account <laughs> side, they're not going to care if you rendered in V-Ray or not. It's not going to matter. Um, but then we told them, like, these are our final thoughts. We are living with watermelons. We are cutting them up. We're even surfing next to them. We are fucking crazy about watermelons. Um, but that's not the end of it. Um, we actually, again, five days, some of that, again, let me show you how crazy we are. Um, this is the actual watermelon, and I'm going to have to do this for every one of these, so I apologize. Um, but we actually did full res watermelon. You know, and this is like five days. It's just like on top of all the other work we're doing with a couple of people, we're like, look, we can actually do what we said we did. And then on top of that, and I wish it actually had the music because it's Vanilla Ice's Ice Ice Baby. Um, but uh, this is my big part to it is that um, the last day I just like, man, I just want to shoot this because the boards are so good. We actually did a full previs. So, and it has sound design and score and everything. Um, so it's not as cool, but imagine Vanilla Ice rapping right now. Um, and then like super bullet time and then all the kind of ice that we showed before, exploding, boom. Um, and it's timed out to the exact time that they wanted with basically matching up to all the boards. Um, so it was just like, look, we've already done the commercial. We have everything. We've done it all. All we need to do is just render it, so just pay us. <laughs> so the end story with all of that is that we didn't win the job. Um, so that's just what I'm saying about, like, let me show you how crazy we get. Um, apparently there was another director that had worked on a different project with the art director of the agency, and he had already decided that he was going to work with them. But they were, fi I don't know what they're doing, but it's probably, I know on the agency side, it's their job to at least get three groups of people to come in to pitch. So, I don't know how much money we spent, but we spent a lot of money on that. Um, Do you know what the budget was for that commercial? It? it was more than Pacific Rim. Yeah. It probably was, because it's full CG, 30 seconds, and it had cut downs. Um, it was probably two, yeah. 200, 250 maybe, something like that. Um, that's what I would guess it would be. Um, um, two answers to that. One is that it never used to be this way. Before I was at Imaginary Forces, I used to ask that question all the time. It's like, how do companies stay in business if we're all doing this all the time? Like, why don't we just agree this is stupid? You know, at least get some kind of pitch fee, like get five grand to bring in a freelance or something. Um, what I was told was 10 years ago, it was exactly inverted. We used to be able to go and say, because there's so few people who could do this, be like, look, if you want us to pitch on this, um, you're gonna have to pay us 25 grand to go ahead and explore it and see if we wanna do it. And then somewhere along the way, it started coming down. Then there was more competitors, there's more people. And also it was like, nope, we want five people to pitch on this. Um, we don't do this for everything. Um, there are some studios who do not do jobs without pitch fees. Um, sometimes we get crazy and we want to really do a job. We, there's a fair amount of autonomy at Imaginary Forces, um, more so than I think a lot of other studios because there are a lot of directors with a lot of history. Um, I was kind of part of the Cinema 4D side of that and we really wanted to push photorealism. So we have our own little agenda as directors at Imaginary Forces of what we want to do selfishly and then as teams and then as a company. Um, that's probably why we did this and we pushed so hard. Um, the little secret about this one is that a director left Imaginary Forces and was competing against us for the first time. So we wanted to beat him out also. So it was kind of like a point of pride, which is always a bad thing, actually, and I'll get into that. Um, um, greed, avarice, or ego are never good reasons to lose money. Um, all right, so this is, again, interaction time. 
the one skill you need, and it's the one thing that never gets taught in school. Anybody have an idea what, I, what I'm thinking? Because it could be a lot of different things. Does anybody have an idea what I think is the one skill you need if you want to do titles or high motion graphics work? And it's not Cinema 4D. It's not Maya. What's that? Communication. Communication is what I would have said a few years ago. Patience, Patience is something that I probably should say. Um, <laughs> But this is also kind of colored by the fact that I teach at a lot of different places, um, especially online. Um, and I apologize if there are children, but the one thing you need to do in this entire industry that most people do is give a fuck. Like a fuck. Like just care about what you're doing to the degree that people will hire you. Because what has been shocking to me, I come from the Midwest, hard work ethic, chip on your shoulder, don't believe you can do it, have to always prove it. Um, but when I made it to Hollywood, and I made it to LA, and this isn't just the studio I'm at, it's amongst all the different ones, and this is also the studios themselves and the broadcast agencies. Um, if you haven't been there, you'll be shocked by how little most people care about what they say, what they do, and especially how they do it. Um, the simple equation is the higher level of the work, the more people will lie, cheat, and steal. And I mean that seriously. Um, and because I'm being recorded, I want to give you an example, and I can't show it, and I won't do it. Um, and I won't say what the company is, and I won't say what the job was. But we had a job <laughs> that we were competing against one of the people who used to own Imaginary Forces and is not there anymore. Um, so again, greed. Ego, avarice, we wanted to beat them out. Um, it was a job that conceptually probably could have been so cool that we maybe would be nominated for an Emmy. Again, ego, bad idea to take a job. Um, and someone in the company decided that it would be a good idea to go downstairs to the gallery that was two blocks away, buy the gallery book of the artist, scan his artwork, and submit it as a pitch in the suite of things that we pitched. We pitched like five or six different things, multiple things. Um, there's a little bit of work done to it, a little bit of, you know, like vignetting and color shifting. But um, that came into competition with the other company, and um, we ended up making it, despite some people saying that it was probably not a good idea. So uh, when I'm talking about the like lie, cheat, steal, the big thing I'm talking about in our industry is it's such a fine line, but stealing, especially when, again, for agency guys, if I think there were two of you guys here, if you guys don't already do this, whenever you get a pitch, if you just, as a favor to me, who doesn't like doing this or hates it when it happens, if you would just cut up a couple frames from every pitch and do a Google image search but reverse, where you just feed it through and then you see if those images come back as something else, you'd make me sleep a lot easier. Because I can't stand it. The amount of work that goes into creating something original or new or God forbid pure, and then other people come in and appropriate other people's work, and then I have to sit down and try to make it and figure out what that means, annoys me to no end and will destroy the industry eventually if it keeps on happening. Um, so that's just my little rant section. Um, but that's what I mean by not giving a fuck. Some people just don't care. I don't know why, but they just don't. Um, but to go along with that, another thing about caring is what I'm really trying to say, is um, caring includes like when you're going to pitch, and honestly, the reason why I'm at where I'm at is that for some reason in Imagining Forces, I was allowed to go into rooms and pitch or sit next to owners when they pitched. Um, for whatever reason, I was the video game guy at Imaginary Forces because there's nobody who played video games. So I was able to kind of break in doing that, like if we were going to video game cinematics or we are going to pitch on box art. I was able to go and do that, which was awesome. Um, but the biggest things I've learned is in about caring, and especially in the pitching phase, there's three simple things you can do. Before you go in and open the door, research everybody that's going to be in the room. I don't know how many of these people applies to, but I just I, I, I poured through LinkedIn. I saw people who were connected to other people. I would go so far as to actually look at their Twitter feeds an hour before we left to go and read the last five things that each of them said so I would have some kind of ammo. Just to be like, oh man, yeah, did you see that new Arkham Asylum game? It's gonna be awesome. Because I knew that they were interested in it. Um, and that's not gaming it or bullshitting. That's giving a fuck. That's caring about the fact that there's actually a person on the other side. Um, sounds dumb, but nobody does it. I don't know why. I've seen so many people pitch and they look down at their notes or they sit here and read. They never look people in the eye when they're like, hey, I'd really like to get $500,000 from you to keep my company lights open. Would you please do that for me? Nobody does it. I don't understand it. Um, and another thing, and I, I fall in this trap, everybody falls in the trap, especially when somebody that you love is in front of you and you want to work with them, um, under promise. Like, you want to win the job, but under promise, be realistic, and then work your ass off to completely blow away expectations. Never do it the other way. Never over-promise what you can do and then just kind of phone it in. Um, nothing spreads worse than that kind of reputation. Um, so I apologize for using that word so much, but it, that frame means a lot to me. Um, another thing I kind of wanted to tell people about was the idea of... Um, Learning to fail, it's something that, because I felt like I had so much on the line, because I was coming from Chicago, no one I knew in Chicago left to go to LA, um, I was scared to death to make a single mistake. And I mean any mistake, like open the door on the owner as he's coming out of the bathroom, saying the wrong name, like anything I could think of that would be a misstep. I was scared to death and almost like, it was like paralysis for like the first 
six months I was working and I learned to just get over it. But somebody actually gave me a really good tip and they said like, get over your ego shit. You're not an artist. You have to completely change your mindset. If you really want to worry about it and get better at what you do, realize that you're an athlete, that you're actually conditioning yourself like an athlete would, that your only competition really as an athlete is how far you can push yourself. It has nothing to do with your owners, has nothing to do with your competition, has nothing to do with the guy next to you if you're a student, has nothing to do with the students that are around you. Your only competition is, am I better today than I was yesterday? Am I gonna get better tomorrow from what I was today, and how do I do it? So for me, as an artist, you work out like an athlete, right? You always practice, you always learn, you look for inspiration. You study your opponents like an athlete, right? Like people watch game tape. If you know you're gonna be pitching against a company or you wanna get into photorealistic CG for TV commercials, Study what Method does. Study what Murata does. Study what Blur does. And the biggest thing is, you have to fail like an athlete. If you're an athlete, 90% of what you do is going to be failure. Like honestly, every, if you're playing baseball, which I don't know how many people in Australia know about baseball, but nobody cares how many times you strike out if you hit a home run in the ninth inning. Like no one cares, it doesn't matter, you won the game. You don't even think about it. You may analyze like what was I doing wrong, but you're not gonna beat yourself up and be like, oh God, I suck. Like you don't suck, you're just moving up the path. So it's the only way to get better is to just uh, like, I hope it doesn't sound like, a, like an infomercial, but like, like learning to foul is a huge thing. Um, all right, so more time to embarrass me. Um, I, hope I, I don't even know if I spelled embarrassed right. I don't know if there's two R's there or not. Um, so this is one where my ambition got really stupid. Um, I wanna show you how, how my ambition got the door shut on its stupid face. So um, how many people have heard of the TV show Helix? Anybody? One person, that makes me feel better that this happened then. Um, there's a show on a network called Sci-Fi in America, I'm sure it's here too. Um, but I was really excited because it was, it was being done by the guy who did Battlestar Galactica. So I, again, hero worship, I really wanted to pitch. Um, and they just wanted, let me double check to make sure this is the right one, because there's two of them. Um, so they're, basically it was just a half hour, maybe hour long TV show, but they wanted a 10 second opening, right? The budget was $15,000, 15 or $16,000. Um, but I had this crazy idea in the room, because I got in the room and they told me what the show was gonna be out and they told me the big, twist reveal, so I hope this isn't a spoiler. Um, but basically, the show is like the movie The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, um, but at the end you realize that the base that they're in is actually like, historically, there's like 50 or 60 levels that every 10 years or every 20 years when something goes bad, they basically seal it off and they just build another one on top of it. So I had this idea that there, if I could walk through that place, I would love to shoot it because I, one thing I love to like film or photograph is um, just like signage everywhere. Like Melbourne has amazing signage. There's an amazing mix of like, super modern stuff, like super clean sans serif modern stuff, next to like stuff that I can't even read what it says because it's so kind of destroyed and beat up and distressed. Um, so I was like, wow, this could be that final time where I could do like a type study. So I pitched them $16,000 budget, TV show, sci-fi, not the biggest. I was like, let's do a different title for every episode. Probably the worst thing you could possibly do for $16,000 <laughs> because there were 12 episodes and I had $16,000 to do an uh, like whatever that math is, less than two grand for every one of them. Um, but I was like, I don't care, this idea is so cool. So I'll go through this really quickly. Um, we had this concept that type could be used as a history to kind of hint that when you watch the show that you're just watching this kind of boring, like generic sci-fi show, but then at the end when they reveal like, oh, there's 10 more layers and some of them are steampunk and some of them are 80s and some of them are prehistoric, but whatever the most current technology was at the time, it was in that level. I'm like, if we did a different title and each one was historic, like type each way and it just said helix, which the word helix never even gets used in the show, at the end of it, you'd be like, holy fuck, they were telling me the whole time that there was something more than just this stupid monster. Um, so I gave them like three kind of ideas. You know, there's the idea of like proto-technology, whatever, just kind of like before technology, words were technology. Um, there's different ways to express it. Um, there's mass communication. So how do we use type right now to kind of talk from like the 20s to like right now? And then uh, there's this idea of like post-technology that there's different things we want to do. These are all wild cards, like using sound as type so that like, you can make sound and translate it through a device and actually send messages. Um, you can use NFC signals to actually interpret stuff. You can um, use data that's as, um, transmitted as light. So like just the pattern and the burst of light can almost be like a Morse code um, that maybe only like robots can recognize. Um, and then one thing I really love is that there's this whole kind of like hacker idea of having typefaces that are unreadable by scanners because we live in this kind of like world where we're constantly being you know, seen all the time. So it's like, oh man, I, I want to do something like that too. Um, and then, just to show you like, how far we go, that's an out there concept, but then we just went even like, ridiculously further um, for 16,000, but we pitched a couple other things too, just ideas. Um, so this is kind of like, generally, like this is like totally over-delivering, and no matter what I do, I'll be under-promising, so I set myself up for kind of failure. Um, so they went with it, that was the thing, that was the craziest thing, is like, Gavin yeah, Mabelstar Galactus on the phone, he's like, that's awesome, I'm gonna get 12, 12 titles for the price of one. Cool, do it. So we did it, we started making it. And um, the, the thing about working on TV that's crazy is that you work with the showrunner, 
97% of the time. And then the people who pay the money to make the show quite often aren't actually the channel or the, depart the company that's putting the show on. So this interesting thing where it was like Sony, who I normally can't stand, was making the show. And then um, I think Sci-Fi, which is owned by another company, is actually putting the show on. So he pitched it to Sony. Sony loved it. My like, dreaded enemy and everything I ever do for them, they never like. Sony loved the idea, so we're like, we're gonna do it, let's do it, we got the money. They gave us the 12 right up front, and we just totally did it guerrilla style, right? Like we had a Canon 7D, and I had a friend who had a bunch of different little like pieces of type, and I just pulled favors in, and we just came in over the weekend at IF in our garage and just shot a bunch of stuff, and we were doing it. We made seven of them, six or seven of them, and we pitched it back, we're like, here's all of our treatments. Now we're gonna do one that's like Sumi ink, we're gonna do one that's like super close to like dot matrix, we're gonna do one that's like metal type that's being pushed out for some reason. We're gonna actually carve into bone, which we actually did, and it shot and it looked awesome. Um, typewriters, all kinds of stuff. And we were like, look, we're not gonna be able to shoot a real typewriter. We hacked all this stuff together in After Effects, which I'm sorry I said After Effects. Um, all this kind of stuff, like, like this Ryan, idea. And one question, when are we gonna see the opening titles? Uh, we can show them whenever you want. Again. <laughs> show them, show them. All right. So we went through and all this stuff, right? So again, we made all these different ones. And then they decided that they didn't like it at the top. Sci-fi was like, that's too far out there for our viewers. They're not gonna understand what's going on at all. And let me see if I have them. I don't know if I have them. Um, so then we basically just did a type slam. Let's see if I can find it. It was literally like the most depressing thing in the world. Um, yeah, I'll show you. So I just did this hype job and everything. Um, these are the titles. So this is appropriate to how it should play because it sucked so much. And there's, my biggest thing was like, can I add a drip of oil at the end? <laughs> and then they let me add an oil drip. And I actually personally animated the oil drip because they let me do it. Um, Ryan, yes? Just a quick one. Did you, did, was that all included in the 16? Or did you say, OK, we've gone this far, you changed your mind, there's an extra fee? Or? They paid us an extra $2,000 to do the other one over the weekend. OK, cool, thanks. All right, so this is my biggest fear, is that I always over-prepare. Um, so I have probably about another 45 minutes of stuff I could talk to you about, but it looks like I have five more minutes. So um, I wish the sound was working, but uh, I'll just play them. And I'll just, no, the, the sound is like 90% of yeah. it, to be honest. So, um, so I'll give you a little bit of background on this. Um, if you guys want to like ask questions later about like specific grammar, personal interest, or whatever, I can answer it. Um, but basically, so Mariana called me and said like, "Hey, can you make these titles? Um, you need them soon." Oh, awesome. If I could do that for real in After Effects, I'd make money for that plugin. Um, yeah, if anybody wants to make a data moshing plugin, please come find me afterwards. Um, so so they, got, they gave me the call and they said, like, yeah, so we want this thing. It's got to be pure. And I had this idea in my head before that I wanted to make something with um, slightly in the future, something with robots. Um, but I, I have this problem where like, we have all this awesome technology and we just throw it away like every year for the next cool technology. But if we would have went back in time with the iPhone currently now and just went back 10 years, it would look like fire to cavemen. People would be like, what is this? You throw it away? Um, so I tried to like, extrapolate it like 10 to 15 years in the future. One of the biggest problems we're going to have in our country is healthcare, at least in the United States, probably everywhere. Um, so I think a lot of current technology is going to be starting to apply to healthcare, to like robots and to autonomous things to help people who can't move around. So whether it's Google self-driving cars or things that tell you what's going on with your heartbeat. Um, but then I started thinking like, wow, what's going to happen when we start throwing that stuff away? There's literally going to be robots just like strewn out on the street. But then you're going to have the kind of counterculture that we have with like RP, like like with LPs and with motorcycles, where people are going to go and scavenge all that stuff and they're going to try to rebuild it. In my head, like. The, the purest thing I can think of, and it, it's a reflection of what we do, is take all these influences that we feel like are over and done with and put them back together and make something new and pure. So that was kind of like the, the idea behind this, was that there's someone somewhere and they're making something new out of something old, essentially. The worst sound ever. It sounds so good right now. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, do you have them? Do you have them in the, com in the computer? If it's the same one. Oh yeah, no, they, they played it on the here before. Ah, okay. Just play it, well, play it from there. Play it from there. It's gonna be better than this. There. It'll play back better than my awesome <laughs> Windows machine. All right. It's too much of a build-up. In the meantime, does anyone wants to ask any questions to Ryan? And, and Mariana wanted me to. There, oh, there. yeah, go ahead. Oh, awesome. Oh, there's a question over there. Yeah. 
Hi. So basically, I want to say thank you for what you put up on screen. It was really helpful, especially I want to mention the, the thing you said about giving a fuck about any project. I think that's awesome. Uh, giving, caring about projects yes. and caring about... <laughs> and so, especially I don't think many people are aware and you're obviously one of the persons are aware. We should care about whatever is the person that's on the other side. Can we will be talking today or what they like or investigate. It's so easy nowadays. LinkedIn, like you said, going on Facebook, going on Twitter. Just, just ask Google what that, what that person is doing yeah. or what does it like. And that's so, I think everyone should be aware of that. And I want to thank you for letting it know. And I don't have any questions. I just want to enforce that. I think so good. Thank you. Thank you. And we're actually ready to play them. Yay. Is there any other questions? I don't know. What did you shoot it on? Um, like a $700 Canon. It's 70, 70D. Oh, yeah, flip out. Yeah, more for the, the dual focus. You know, like I, I was in one man show on it, so I had like a, a little slider, but I could kind of be like camera opping, focus shifting, like, or focus pulling, and kind of like operating the slider all at the same time. Um, so for like not that much money, you can have like three people kind of in one person. Lighting was um, mostly natural, mostly like either waiting for the light to change or yeah. like bouncing light at most. Um, yeah, it was uh, really, really straightforward. I was lucky that I had such a great um, venue to shoot. Where was it? Um, it's actually the factory that my dad's worked at for like 25 years. Yeah, right. yeah on the west side of Chicago. It's gorgeous. It's not in the best neighborhood. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of nice. Um, any other questions for the moment? Do you have any tips for um, uh, presenting concepts and sort of just presenting presenting your work? Like, are there any things that you've found work better over, over time? Yeah, I think part of it is understanding what the need really is more than the people who actually are asking you for something. Um, part of it is listening and spitting back in a, in a more elevated fashion what they tell you. Part of it is really sitting down and thinking about, you know, like, how am I going to sell this, this razor? better than somebody else had for the last four or five times. And, and, and sometimes it's just like very utilitarian. Sometimes it's just like looking at what everybody else has done and coming up with something different. Excuse me. Um, I think it, it's clarity in the presentation. You know, like I tried to show like how crazy you can go on some, but you, know, you could do an eight page presentation that has like a strong, it, it, a lot of people say we're not storytellers anymore, but I feel like if you think of it as like you're telling a beginning, middle, and end in your story, it really does help. It's not just scattered. It's not just like, here's all the work we've done, and here's 20 pictures, and thank you. You know, like there's gotta be some kind of like, people want to feel like they're, 
the prices that people are paying for the work that a place like Imagine Forces is doing um, warrants more focus and attention on the people. Like, if you're going to pay as much money as it costs to, co to cover the overhead of companies like, like that, um, they're asking for almost like a bespoke piece of art. And they're not necessarily like a client or a customer, they're almost more like a patron <laughs> at that level. And you have to think of it that way. Like, you're lucky to be making a razor, a spot for like the third version of the Gillette Mach 5. Like, and, and it sounds weird to say that because it's very um, cool to not think that that stuff is, is worth that kind of effort. Um, but I think it's all like approach. It's really, it makes a big difference, like respecting it. And do you, do you change the amount of effort you put, I sort of asked this before, but do, do you change the amount of effort you put into a pitch to match the potential reward? I think uh, it, in my time at, at doing this at that level, um, it was inversely proportional almost every time. Yeah. The jobs that paid the least are the ones that we ended up putting the most amount of effort into. And that because the reward was that you like them? Um, I think somebody asked me earlier um, if I thought there was anything pure left. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the answer is yes, but not in the way you normally think. Like we live in like remix culture and auto inspiration. Yeah. Um, but I think if the intent is pure, I think that that can still be true. Sure. Like if you're just trying to tell something that, whatever it might be, like it's just an interesting way of telling the story that can get people to react. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the reward. I mean, yeah. that's selfishly, I don't own the company, so I can say that. <laughs> you know, like I'm not you know, paying for 20 people yeah. to, to still be around every yeah. day. Yeah, but, that, but that's certainly nice, isn't it? Is where if you come to a project with a vision and a clear rationale mm -hmm. and a clear story behind it, you know, that, that in itself is quite yeah. pleasing to do. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I think that's the only way to avoid burnout, especially with the kind of like hours that you put in it, is like have something that you want to bring to it before you even have the mm. pitch in your, on your table. Now, do you happen to know, like, the, the, the name Imaginary Forces is, yep. is, is quite, so this thing just... It's quite weighty. It's quite... Yeah. See, I feel like we should just both stand. Yeah. It's sort of quite <laughs> squat. Squat. No, no, we need to do this. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just a squat like this. Yeah. Um, anyway, the name imaginary force is quite weighty, but yeah. also does reflect quite beautifully uh, visual effects mm -hmm. and what that is. Do, do you, can you expand on I, that, what you know about that? That or? all comes from Kyle Cooper. Okay. Um, Kyle is, um, I wouldn't even say amateur, but is definitely like a, um, I would consider a scholar towards Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, can quote, can act. It, almost transforms when he doesn't be funny. <laughs> yeah, right. um, and I would put all of that on, on, on Kyle. Like there's, again, the significance of a name isn't just, does it sound cool? Does yeah. it sound different? Does yeah. it say exactly what we do on the yeah. tin? There's something deeper as to why he has the madness he has and it's yeah. reflected in even the name. <clears throat> I want to meet this guy. Yeah. Um, now, do just on some opening things, did you have any kind of fun new tools? This might be oh, the, dude, actually the right question. There's a million, there's a yeah. million. Like that's, we can go outside and talk about it. Um, the one I'm messing around with now, um, I use Cinema 4D primarily, but I've been going into um, other companies' products just because I'm not as satisfied with some things. And Nuke and Moto, I know we're here at the Foundry, but like Nuke and Moto is actually, it's the most exciting thing for people who are in motion graphics mm -hmm. that are future forward. Mm -hmm. I think, um, we'll talk about this for an hour too, but I think motion graphics is about to have a earthquake, yeah. like, like, a, like a, a foundation shaking wave come across it that is not unlike what's going on with visual effects. Yeah. Um, and I think a big portion is that pipeline and workflow is not going to be able to be the Wild West with three people just doing yeah. their own thing. Yeah. Um, and I also think that the demand for photorealism will become a standard yeah. issue kind of expectation, mm -hmm. not a bonus, and we're going to get 400 more, 400 grand more to do it. Yeah. Um, that can only happen when you have tools that are built for that. Yeah, that's right, because everything's getting faster, expectations are getting higher. Yeah, yeah. I mean, After Effects and Cinema 4D, right, I love them, they're yeah. like bread and butter. They're also tools that were built 20 years ago. Yeah. And they're also tools that were not built with artists communicating with programmers yeah. and producers at the same time. And in my limited amount of time, like I, I was using uh, Nukemoto on this for a little bit for that last like robot shot, um, and, and you can feel it. Like yeah. like the same way I got excited where I never really yeah, right. did with cinema. Yeah. It, it, it it's exciting. And what sort of um sorry before we move on from Cinema 4D, which we don't want to you know go on to, but why do you have a Cinema 4D reel? Um, we actually. Because we're one of the largest Cinema 4D houses that I know of, yeah. um, we work really closely with Maxon. And to be totally honest, that was like kind of our little like, what can we do to get even closer? How can yeah. I get access to their plans, their transparency, yeah. their programmers, yeah. their developers? Um, so that was kind of partially just a, like, look what we've done. And then when we did it, we stood back and we're like, wow, I didn't realize we did that much yeah. with this one tool at a time. Yeah. Um, and just, just uh, like I think one of the key or one of the ongoing themes in our industry 
is this balance of how to get your creative out there, mm -hmm. um, how to do it on time and on mm -hmm. budget, or you know, and still make money. Yeah. Do you have any? Can you expand a little bit on yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, that, that's what I was going to get into later. Was that um, the, the number one thing if you want to stay alive and if you want to get promoted and you want to become a director, art director, creative director, is designing to a brief. Mm. As much as respecting them, mm. knowing. I'm astounded by the amount of creative directors that have no idea how to execute on their own vision. Yeah. That blows me away. Yeah. Like I, I, I had such a high regard for people when I was walking into the industry, and I still do, but the, the, much like in the film industry, the directors who understand visual effects, the creative directors who yeah. understand the tools, yeah. will design to that much more efficiently. Yeah, because you know it can happen and it's not going to destroy it. The it whole seems system. like a simple thing to say, but it's shocking yeah. how um, that is not very often honored. Yeah. Um, any other questions coming up? Yes. Uh, do you ever find time to work on passion pieces, like for free or on your own? On what? On passion pieces, like uh, <laughs> solo projects or anything? Or um, just, like, do you drive enough satisfaction out of your day job? To be able to I definitely do not drive enough satisfaction. <laughs> um, and for 10 years, my one year's resolution was not to like work out or save money. It was always I've got to do something for myself. Hmm. I have a list of things I want to do. I want to do more 2D animation. I want to do more storytelling. I want to do more character stuff. For a brief look in time at Imagine Forces, I got to do like two or three character pieces. Um, and that's where I learned that like I probably need to move on sooner or later because that kind of workflow or that kind of collaboration just doesn't, it's not in the DNA of, of some companies like that. Um, this is my first passion project, to be totally honest. And the time that I turned it around astounded me because it was my first passion project. Um, we had a short time to do it, we didn't have any budget. Um, and like I have three more projects now that I've taught myself how easy it is to do. Like I did everything in this. Like, other than somebody holding a reflector and another person's word or voice, like it was amazing to kind of actually for once not have a client, not mm. have an agency, like just like they wanted me to make something, what can I make? For mm. better or for worse. If it sucks, didn't care, they still did it. Hey, and wh where was that quote from? Because I thought that was That is a, a Theodore Roosevelt quote. Um, it's called The Man in the Arena. It's part yeah. of a larger speech. Mm -hmm. um, but that's partially a little bit of why I use it too, is that it's been co-opted in the States no. by um, non-progressives sure. to kind of like there's a political reason for why it was said, and it's being kind of like co-opted now. Right. So that was my own little, tiny little taking it back a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I thought that that was very, you know, the the the, the film and the, the the visual aspect of the film was very beautiful. But it's wonderful when you can combine it with some music or voice that you know gets the tingles in there. So I thought that was yeah. just why we needed the sound. Of. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, thank you very much. It's a, it's an important quote to me, um, and I think it really like kind of even goes with the theme of pure. And I hope like. I hope people listen to it or go back and read it mm. and take a look at it because it, it really is kind of just saying like everything else besides the people who actually make something, the rest of it's noise. It yeah. doesn't matter. It's just us mm. looking at each other's work and helping each other get better. And the rest of it, the money, the critics, the fame, the ego, whatever it might be, like it, it, does, it fades away really yeah. fast. And was that your dad in the factory? That was my dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. pretty comfy. Yeah. Uh, I've got a few questions, but I might just end it just because I think we're running out of time just more like <laughs> uh, maybe just you know, a couple of top sort of artists that you really you know are thinking at the top of their game at the moment and also you know from current titles to you know however long back your maybe cup two favorite titles that you've seen in the uh, two favorite most most favorite current is pretty much anything Patrick Clare's done yeah. his uh, really recent man in the high castle really like um, there's a simplicity to it that I think he's showing Maturity, I mean, I'm saying it like I know, but like the maturity he's shown in a short amount of time of growing. Like you look at True Detective, you look at Halt and Catch Fire. Um, that's why I was saying I think there's three, sorry, three mad geniuses, probably four in the world. I think he's probably the closest in this little world. Um, Did you I know he's Australian? Yeah. We're mm -hmm. very proud of him. Yeah, he's amazing. And I think um, the speed at which he's doing work, the consistent voice, but still um, honoring the, the brand or honoring the, the subject matter, um, I think. Him and Danny Yunt, Kyle, Saul Bass, there's, there's a handful. Um, but there's a bunch of other artists I love. Like, I, I, I'm super excited to see anything David Fincher does. Um, there's an illustrator named Tomer Hanuka that I love. Um, I'm always, like, always looking for stuff all the time to kind of, like, pull back in. And then um, I didn't get to play it because um, I, I didn't get to download it. But my absolute favorite, it has nothing to do with any of the stuff I talked about. My absolute favorite title sequence of all time is um, the Batman animated series opening title. I think that no one, my, my Batman will always be um, that guy, my Joker will always be Luke Skywalker, um, <laughs> and I think those titles have captured, you know, a character that's of the generation better than anybody ever will. Yeah. Plus they have guns in a cartoon. Sweet. Which never happens. 
Cool. Anybody else? Awesome. So what should we do? Just a mild wrap up. Wrap up. Thank you, Mark, so much for being moderator. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Ryan. Everyone else. Thank you, guys. Can I just do a quick wrap up? So, in conclusion, um, thank you all the speakers. I thought that, you know, it's a good range of uh, kind of uh, people just coming up in the industry and uh, very established, experienced heroes. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's in the VFX industry, we can't, or one can't keep just throwing more hours to get the same shot. So, we've got to be cleverer. Uh, do more R&D, do more independent development to get all the tools and the, you know, the communication happening. I think that's the really nice point that you made. Um, and also this, this idea of you know, collaboration and how that works uh, in either a VFX pipeline or an animation pipeline you know, and opening up or inviting the, you know, peop the craftsmen to help author something sometimes. Uh, but at the same time also respecting various crafts that are in there. I thought that was a really nice theme as well. Uh, so obviously we've got to work smarter, at, well, <laughs> I was going to say smarter, not harder, but we should probably work smarter and harder. Um, and just be interesting to see, you know, how everything changes and what this earthquake is you speak of. Um, so good luck. Thank you. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings of talks and live events, go to Acme Channel and the Acme website.